This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barchies and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden, bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. Happy Halloween, or at least it will be when this pod episode drops. Uh, I'm excited, not excited for CW's Halloween lineup because they basically don't have anything, (laughs) (laughs) but excited for Spooky Day. It's going to get real spooky in a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I hate that we're starting the news section with some like terrible news, horrific news anyway. Um, but it's Nancy Drew has been final seasoned for um, season four, which I guess essentially is a cancellation since they were filming it. Yeah. Um, it's sad. It's very sad. I don't even know where to begin. Michael, you always have yeah. the, the intelligent thought. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my analysis is very biased today. How do you even like comprehend that? Like, here we are again. We thought we'd make it out of this year with at least no cancellations. Or if there was a cancellation, you'd think it was from one of the shows on the air at the moment. What went into this decision? Where did it come from? It just, it, you're, you're right. It feels very much like a cancellation, even though it's a final season. Like if, if Nancy had been renewed for a final season back in March, you would have been like, yay, one more for Nancy. But now it kind of feels like it's been cut short, even if the story tells us this was the original plan all along. I don't know. I feel like I'm going to repeat the old tired phrase at this stage that Nancy deserved better, but that's what this year has been all about. Yeah, it's really weird because if it was always going to be final season, then they could have said that when it was early renewed. Instead mm-hmm. of having um, the fans and I guess the actors um, going through into the season four filming, thinking that there was a possibility for more. And they were like, no, it's not a possibility for more. We're ending. It's it's just a really it was a strange way to go about a show that you were going to final season anyway. And it stresses me out because according to Deadline, um, the discussions about this being the final season have been going on for quote months and apparently the decision was made before mark left the cw so i'm like how long was the show in limbo and we didn't know and the cast didn't know like i think what i want from the cw in this new era is more transparency Mm because no reasoning was provided and i think a reason or something is really helpful to fans like whether it's like, oh, while we were writing, we found like this is a great ending point for the story. Great. Tell us that. If it was just like a business decision, we won't understand. But tell us. <laughs> you can't tell us it's ratings because the season hasn't premiered yet. And obviously the ratings were good enough to elicit its fourth season renewal. But just tell us. Tell us, Give us a reason. Give the fans something to kind of understand why this happened because if you're telling us that it's been in the works for months that doesn't track with what we know to be true and it doesn't make sense and right now in this era with things being canceled and we don't know what's going on getting a cancellation essentially a cancellation in the middle of production of a show that people are the fans are so excited about they were so thrilled that I got renewed in the first place during a absolute bloodbath why I, I don't, why is, why was it in talks for months? And it was, I don't know. And Deadline also said that it's not unexpected. To whom? 
I remember the celebrations after uh, it was renewed because obviously the fans were so happy about it. And I mean, if the fans were so passionate about making it happen and they were like, they did it. So I feel like the silver lining here could be that maybe Mark was the one that overseen it, saw it getting a final season because he's always been very vocal about how he loves his uh, shows getting final seasons. And he would have done the same with Batwoman at Legends that Warner Brothers not prevented them from doing so. Maybe this is what that looked like. Maybe this is what that would have been. He got it with Nancy Drew, maybe. Maybe he oversaw this. I just don't like the fact that, as Reed said, there wasn't an awful lot of transparency about it. So the cast may have started filming this season as though it was just any other old season. But did the creative team know? Did the writers know? Did the producers know? Or was this just a, it's been in the works by the top down who are not involved in the scripts? Because I know the Deadline article did say that they're crafting a final season. And is that crafting a final season like Dynasty had to do where they had six episodes to work with to get that end game or is it that they've been crafting it from the very beginning kind of like Supergirl did back in the good old days of the CW it just again I feel transparency is a great word because it just feels like it came out of nowhere and yet the article is telling us that it didn't you know what I mean yeah I think this is a Dynasty situation where we're going to in the back half of season four of Nancy Drew start um beginning to lay the flowers down. It's very weird for them to be like, oh, we're crafting. It's like, okay, but y'all were dropping little nice hints in the early parts of filming, which there wasn't anything to suggest they were heading towards a final season by what had like the little nuggets that they'd been dropping for for months. Again, this is like a whole, if it's a month long talk, shouldn't it feel like a month long talk? Shouldn't we have already like begun sort of slowly getting the fandom and everyone ready for the show to go off without actually saying the show was going to go off. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. The only thing I could think of as far as a reason, which they probably will not tell us, is that they need to start making room on the roster for their new shows if they're going to be introducing new titles because CW has always, well, not always, but it's had um, a veteran lineup for a while now, which is why there was such a bloodbath this year, I, I want to say um, last year, but we're not even done with the year yet. And we're still canceling <laughs> things. Um, and technically, so that means that we are, Riverdale is final season in 2023. So is The Flash and now Nancy Drew. That's three shows. That's three sh- slots that they have to fill with content, whether it's scripted or unscripted. And we're still not even out of the woods. Like who knows what could still mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. I will say um this does kind of feel like a silver lining for the Winchesters and Walker independence as horrible as, as that is to say. Um, Cause as soon as I heard the news, I was like, well, I guess the Winchesters and Walker independence are getting renewed. I don't know. Um, but what, I was going to circle back to something. Um, oh, the crafting the final season bit. I feel like that was lip service. Mm. And I think you're right that we're going to get it in the back half. I think that was like, just to appease fans, I think that comes from the network. Like, oh, they're crafting a series finale that'll work. And I'm like, great. But like, have they known that from the beginning? Like you said, um, and I just hate that the cast found out like a few hours before we did. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's good that they found out before we did though. And weren't like cast members for shows where you find out they found out with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, how rude do you have to be <laughs> to not yeah. at least tell the cast before the news drops? Yeah, it just feels like it's been, the thing that gets me the most is that a lot of this feels very last minute and yeah, Mm -hmm. the reports are telling us that it wasn't. 
So like what kind of, uh, again, to use that word transparency, does that suggest for going forward? Like, are we just going to be blindsided by this consistently? Because like three final seasons is a huge thing. Great for the shows. They get to buy that with the respect they deserve, or at least a modicum of that respect if in Nazis do case, because we don't know how much time they had to plan the final season. But like three final seasons when you've only got nine, 10, 11 shows, and we don't know if all of them will get renewed or cancelled or whatever. Does that mean cancellations can still come? Like, I know we're moving into a new era and that's probably going to be the tagline for the CW for the next four or five years, but like, it can't happen overnight. They can't like just clear their decks. And yes, cheaper programming is an important thing. Next Star Originals is an important thing, but you need to have returnees to the network to keep it alive. And Nancy Drew might not have brought in the biggest audience. Riverdale was bringing in a smallest audience right now, but those shows were guaranteeing that at least people who watched the CW for years were coming back to watch it, maybe see trailers for new shows and then watch, watch those new shows. And then of course, The Flash is one of the biggest audiences on the CW. To lose all of that in one fell swoop and we haven't even entered the cancellations period yet, it's quite some might call it stupid but i do understand why the flash at riverdale are ending i still feel like nancy might have had some life left in it yeah yeah so just it's a weird time for the network we keep saying that but like every time we are happy with what's happening on the cw we end up on just like comfortable or like we just like (laughs) don't get comfy yeah ariana grande stay woke don't sleep oh my god no that's that's very true that's very true but before we move on though i guess we should list the suffragettes series is in the works. Jake Chang is in the works, which that's a reverse. That's a Riverdale-esque show in the sense that it takes place in the Archie Comics universe. And it's a mystery. So there is that. We'll get mysteries again if the show goes forward with the season order. Um, and the Zorro, which is still in limbo. So that's three shows right there. And they haven't announced any unscripted programming that's in development. I don't really want to see any of the unscripted um, things that they might have like cooking in the pots. They can keep that. (laughs) But uh, there are shows coming. I just wish they would. And just as you, of course, hopefully, like everything sounds positive. Every update about that sounds surprisingly positive. And I feel like we're talking about returnees. That's probably the biggest one off the new shows that might get people interested again. So right now it feels like we need just as you, but we just I don't know what the next year is going to look like. I just hope that a slew of cancellations don't follow three final seasons. I know. I do think Justice U is going to take the Flash's spot, though. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. I hope uh, so. One last note about Nancy. Ooh, real nice. quick. Um, in the Deadline article, I know we probably should take these things with a grain of salt, but I did think it was really interesting that there was no mention of CBS television having an intention of shopping it around. Mm-hmm. Usually they will mention those things up front in some kind of press release when something gets canceled, but this was, it was not mentioned. Um, so it does seem like this is, there's some finality to this decision. Um, but I know that's not going to stop the Drew crew from, you know, getting out there and making sure people know Nancy's name, which go off and do your thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> just wanted to put that out there that that was something that I took note of in all of this mess. Yes. Well, then I'm going to posit a Nancy Drew movie, CW Mole, if we're losing her, give us a, a season theme, like a, a Halloween, I don't mm-hmm. know, for next year. Maybe like um, a spooky Christmas. Yes, that I would be fun. I don't know if fun. they ever did that in the show, but spooky Christmas would be fun. Spooky Christmas would be fun. So take it back to the mole. Like, we're not done with Nancy. Like, they might be done with Nancy as far as season shows, but give us a TV movie. It'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah.
speaking of last bows, so there's flash news. Um, John Kerr, who plays Chill Blaine, has been promoted to a series regular. Good for him. However, I don't quite know what this means for Chill Blaine's character, considering we have 15 episodes, right? So I kind of yeah. want to um, not what, have another yeah. one. From what I saw, the buzz was not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do want to just lead with, just like Sabrina said, very happy for John Kerr. Great actor, really enjoy his presence on the show. But it's a bit of a baffling decision because the show is struggling with its newer characters, as is. Do we really need another one? I will say I find some of Shelby's arc more exciting than some of the other regular characters we have on the show. So maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's baffling. Uh, the more we learn about the final season, it feels like, oh my goodness, I'm so excited about that. Why did they do that? It just it feels like maybe they're trying to do too much all at once. Um, I mean, it makes sense. We have this new killer, Frost, Caitlin, whatever that thing is that stepped out of the fridge at the end uh, entity to look into. And I assume Chill Blaine will be involved in that arc since he was in love with Frost. Um, but yeah, it feels like they're going it, to. it's going to be less about Frost, more about turning him into a hero, which I mean, they've kind of already did. Do we need to spend the final season doing it again? I don't know. I like him and I'm glad we're going to see him in the final season, but I don't think he needs to be a series regular character. But again, I'm very happy for John Core. This season has so many conflicting feelings and it hasn't even started yet. I know. And I just, I feel like that's going to end up being a whole separate arc from everybody else, which means that we could have another, like a season where half the story, like a, Two storylines are competing with one another and we do not have time for it. <laughs> we, do, yeah, exactly. we just don't have time. <laughs> I feel like they, they need to tighten it up and get, like this is the same uh, show that said they may not be able to tie up Legends or they may not be able to bring back Mia Smoke. And I do respect that because this is the final season of The Flash. Yes, it's the final Arrowverse season, but it is the final season of The Flash. But we also need to think about what stories we don't need to be telling in 13 episodes. And I'm not sure, well, the extent of this one is one of them. Happy to see Chilblain, happy to see whatever that thing is that walked out of the fridge, but tighten it up a little bit. I don't know. I, I feel like we, we won't be able to judge fully until we say, but previous seasons have not been kind when we know that the show has too big of a cast. And you said 13 episodes, not even 15. I gave them two extra, so we don't even... <laughs> the, orig the original report said 15, I think, but I think when it was confirmed, it was pulled down to 13 You're making me question that but i'm pretty sure it was 13 oh my god well if it's 13 no i mean happy for john kerr but my goodness <laughs> <laughs> but there is exciting flash news though and that is that javicia leslie is returning to the Arrowverse, though not as batwoman there is a mystery role um that she's filling yeah, it's very exciting to see uh, Javicia Leslie back. Like, as soon as I seen that news, I was like, yes, Batwoman's back. Um, it was very, it, like, of all the things, this was unexpected because Batwoman was actually one of the parts of the Arrowverse that did tie up nicely. Not exactly series finale level, but definitely finale level. So to see her back on the show was great. Of course, there's the whole, who is she playing? And I mean, allegedly, she's playing the DC character, the Red Death. And now I'm telling you, I spent my early 20s writing about villains that the Flash should have. And the Red Death was at the top of that list for anyone unaware. It's a evil version of Batman from a parallel dimension that uh, straps the Flash to the Batmobile and steals his speed by driving through something, something or other. It was very crazy. Um, wow. But obviously this show has decided to adapt it with Batwoman instead. If that's the case. And all I can say is that sounds incredible. Uh, I, at the top of this list, I'm very happy to see Javicia Leslie back, but I'm also really excited that if this is the case, that they're finally adapting the Red Death. Never thought it would happen. They did name drop him in season six. 
didn't expect, or now I guess we should say they did name drop her in season six, never expected them to actually go in that direction. Again, is this going to be a standalone episode then? Is this going to play into the main villain of the season? How many episodes do we have to play with? We have to take all of that into account, but I will say I'm going to be a little bit biased and say I'm just very excited to see Javicia Leslie back. And that's so exciting. It's very exciting. I don't know. If, I don't know how I feel about an arc. I think they could do a really good um, episode or two. Um, I wouldn't mind if it was sort of this own little thing, and then we kind of moved on to the rest of the season just to give them time to play and and have fun. I I don't trust them with an arc. <laughs> like, like at all. so, like two episodes tops personally for me. But it sounds like it's got that already sounds like it's going to be amazing. It does. It does. The best thing I can think of is that if they do something like Arrow's final season where it was tied to the crisis storyline, but each episode had a standalone flavor, they never went with this big arc. I think if The Flash did something like that for its final season, that could be really cool because this the show used to thrive on standalone episodes. And we've seen in recent seasons, their long drawn out arcs are not paying the show any favors. So uh, maybe, uh, maybe have an overarching arc, but every single episode has its own standalone quality. It worked beautifully for Arrow's final season, brought the show back from the brink. It would be cool if it did the same for The Flash. And it, it's starting to sound quite episodic with all the strange things we're learning about that's happening in the season. So yeah, if they do that, I think they could have an amazing episode in there with Javicia Leslie, Ryan Wilder, Batwoman, whoever character this is. I just, I'm so excited to see her back. Yes. And unlike everybody else, well, besides Everdale and Nancy, they don't have to worry about ratings, so they can do whatever mm. they want. Throw everything at the wall, just make it coherent. Yes, because as everyone who listens now knows, we're doing the ratings game, and it's hard out here for for the CW. They are some, somewhat bouncing back. I mean, we, so the week ending on October 21st, it's, it's better. It's better than it was. People, people are bouncing back. Walker's at... Um, 0.69 million, um, and Walker Independence was 0.51, which means they're steady. Pretty much, Walker could be better, but considering where they are, um, and they're getting a lot of preemptions too for football, and so there are a lot of de- delayed viewings coming in. I, I think people should give them a pass for how the ratings are going right now. No one should be crowing in the tweets. It, it is what, especially because the Winchesters had to bounce back hard um, after having that slip in episode two, uh, which they did. Episode two had 0.46 million and episode three got 0.55 million. I can't read numbers. We're just going to say 550,000. <laughs> We're just going to say it in the thousands because I can't read these numbers. But they got 550,000, which is good considering they had slipped so far down. We're going, we're doing a slow crawl up back to the 700, plus you have the plus three and plus seven numbers that always sort of bring everyone back up. So that's good. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's interesting because the ratings last week could be attributed to perhaps the Verizon issue that's ongoing that's robbing people of the chance to watch on or on the TV. But clearly that made some more fans come out and maybe in other areas, I don't know. But like, there is a stark contrast from the huge ratings drop last week that affected everything bar Walker and Stargirl, Stargirl, my queen standing, standing strong. (laughs) Um, But um, now here we are this week and things are looking quite better. So, I mean, like, hopefully this is a good sign and the Verizon issue won't 
I hope long term that that's tied up because people deserve to be able to watch their favorite shows. But it does feel like the, sh- the network is starting to bounce back from a very unusual second fall week. And I hope it continues because things are looking up, particularly for the Winchesters, which had a pretty standard drop off rate this week, which was actually an improvement from last week. This is what this, the week two sat should have looked like. So hopefully we're back in the right place now. And the All-Americans had a shocking decline in their second week. Mm-hmm. And then they bounced back pretty intensely, which is good to see because it was kind of worrisome. <laughs> it was like, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, and I know it was the Verizon thing and like, I don't know, there's a mess of sports happening, but I, uh, it was just like, what? <laughs> I know All-American fared better than All-American Homecoming because All-American's Homecoming's drop was, um, it was scary. It was like one of those things, like, I really hope you guys bounce back because in this new era, every view counts. Um, and just that far down was um, shocking, but they are bouncing back. Mm-hmm. Uh, professionals, not so much. Professionals is slowly making its way down. <laughs> it's, it's, it's in Riverdale territory at this point, um, which, I mean, it's an acquisition that's not really getting promoted outside of the network. So this is kind of the CW's fault anyway. Mm-hmm. But I mean, currently, are any of the shows in the hundred thousand, one hundred thousands, like any like the important ones? Not to be, you know, <laughs> no, no, not at the moment. Because I know that was a, like an issue last season. I feel like Riverdale and Dynasty got a lot of one hundred thousands, and like that's not what we want because that's very mm-hmm. close to like the thousands. <laughs> <laughs> Even over the summer, uh, like the likes of like Devils would have fallen into that territory as well. So I do feel like if you look at what the CW's ratings were in the middle of the summer, outside of Stargirl, everything was doing the same, which were the low 200s, 100,000s. There is a clear improvement now that Fall TV has come back and that's a great news for the network and hopefully great news for the shows on it. Not exactly where they need to be, but again, it's a marathon, not a sprint. We're not going to get there overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, things are doing well at the moment. And I do just want to also shout out All-American Homecoming because even though I haven't been keeping up with the show, I have been keeping up with the ratings and I'm pretty sure this week's episode was the most watched since in the later half of season one. So like oh, nice. that's a huge improvement because I'm pretty sure season one were in the 300,000s as well. So that's a huge improvement. It didn't just hold its own. It bounced back significantly. So hopefully that will be the trend going forward for not just it, but all of the shows. But right now I just wanted to spotlight that because that was kind of huge. I think the fandom started rallying mm-hmm. when they saw those numbers. Uh, people are finding whatever means they can to watch live. And then you have the um, delayed numbers from streaming. So there is that. I think that if everyone can hold steady as this next star and Verizon dispute happens, we should be in pretty good shape. It's just unfortunate for some shows that started a bit later um, because they're not, they can't balance out in the way that like say Walker, Walker Independence, Walker Independence has been steady and that's wonderful. But like, shows like the Winchesters or um, which started later um, in all American homecoming. Uh, they just don't have, they haven't been able to rest. There's a, there's been declines. There's been declines. It's just not, it's maybe everything should have came back the same week. We wouldn't yeah. be in this problem, but I mean, I do understand the staggered um, premieres. It's just, they saw this Verizon thing coming. So Yeah, I find that's the hardest thing to judge because at the end of the day, they're all recently premiered shows, but it impacted 
the wind, the rise in issue impacted the Winchesters and All American Homecoming a lot sooner than it impacted the likes of Star Girl or Walker. In fact, there are the two shows we don't even think it really impacted at all. But it, just, it because it happens so soon into the fall season, it makes the comparison impossible. If that makes mm. sense, it's hard. You can't compare a show's week two ratings with the Verizon issue in account versus a show's week three ratings or week four ratings or week eight ratings in, in Stargirl's terms when it's had a long enough time to hold its own, build up that audience. So the stagger thing makes it impossible to get a fair judgment because now you see like the likes of the Winchesters bouncing back in week three, All-American Homecoming back, bouncing back in week three, whereas shows like Maddie Walker Independence are actually have remained steady the whole time. No bounce back but they've remained steady the whole time. They didn't suffer in the first place. So there are so many, like there are always so many variables when it comes in TV comes into account, particularly on a network that suffers from preemptions as much as the CW. But I feel like it's, 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 it's so awful that the Verizon issue got in the way so early because it makes it hard for us to make a, a concrete judgment. So I hope the CW doesn't make concrete judgment this early because these shows still have life in them. And clearly you can see that from the bounce backs. Yeah, and I hope they don't shoot themselves in the foot and then blame us. It's like, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, that, was your, that was a personal problem. <laughs> yeah, because that is my concern about the Winchesters and Walker Independence, because Walker Independence looks steady in comparison. But they would, because like you got in a dispute with Verizon a week after the Winchesters premiered, which means so by the time this pod comes out, we'll be um, two weeks into this dispute. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are holding out. We've no idea how long this could last. I was hoping it would only be a few days. It looks like we might even be going into, well, we're definitely going to go into November, it looks like, um, like this. But hopefully we're not even going into the holidays like this, like before this, like are they really going to suffer before they go on their winter hiatuses? Like it's just, it's not really fair, but the CW hasn't been fair under Nexstar's uh, regime. So I guess we should just brace for that. Mm, yeah. Cross your fingers, manifest good things. Yes. I wish we could manifest a good Halloween lineup, but we can't um, because it's already been established. <laughs> so like the, so um, All-American, All-American Homecoming will not be on on Halloween. Instead, um, World's Funniest Animals Halloween will air at 8 p.m. And then the 13 scariest movies of all time will air. And um, that's lackluster. They, they couldn't have found an actual scary movie? Apparently not. Apparently we're not licensing a thing. Uh, we're not going to be doing that. I don't see why we just don't do an entire block of Halloween episodes that the CW has aired. I, It's confusing. Like, I I know um, there are networks that plan, like, a full block of, okay, we're going to, everyone's celebrating Halloween. They just did it on ABC with Abbott Elementary and Home Economics. Um. Granted, Disney has a little bit more money to spend and they have a, a bit more of a, um, a a say in being like, hey, you know, we're celebrating Halloween. So create around that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think it's a smart decision to like plan themed lineups that people are like, ooh, I'll hop into a, a show that looks like it's going to be a spooky good time. <laughs> and like, that's how you can get new viewers. I don't know. Yeah, it's frustrating. And I feel like, again, not to go down this route on this year because they're not that connected to Warner Brothers anymore, but Warner Brothers still has a 12% stake. I'm sure they could have made something work. But like you have access to like Warner Brothers library of movies, 
cartoons, Halloween episodes, whatever. I'm sure there was something in the library, like just or something like the Batman versus Dracula, a classic Halloween movie. You know what I mean? Like if they have those things at their disposal, I just feel like when you could make Halloween episodes, when you could distribute Halloween episodes or Halloween movies or anything from some of the classics, Scooby-Doo Halloween special or something like that. It just feels like that lineup is so lackluster. And they, I like being diplomatic. I'm like, oh, maybe their hands were tight or whatever, but no, that lineup is incredibly lackluster. Or like re-air your new shows. <clears throat> Give people a second opportunity to watch them. I don't know why they haven't done that. That's not related to Halloween. <laughs> but <laughs> but another... I mean, the, the Winchesters would work on Halloween. So. I, right? Yeah, like, do a back-to-back like Winchesters event. I don't know. Oh, that would be fun, actually. That'd be really fun because you have the premiere and then episode two were hippies. Yeah, and exactly. it's fun. <laughs> yeah, or even episode two and three. I don't know. Oh, uh, yes, because I mean, we'll get there. But mm-hmm. that <laughs> was... <laughs> <laughs> so that was spooky. Yeah, that was the time. <laughs> yes, it was. But I mean, they have it's for the network to be 16 years old, they have an archive. Mm-hmm. Just dive into your own library. You have access. You like two of the biggest studios ever. It just use their catalog. I just it's just, it's very confusing to me. Like I just don't understand or I don't take advantage. It was a nepotism, maybe. Why? <laughs> It was given everything but the Halloween theme things, and I just don't understand why. Yeah, they could ask mom and dad for help. Come on, I'm sure Warner Brothers yes. and CBS have something there. Yes, uh, to her, like how? I mean, granted, we don't know what that costs. True. Like, but it seems easy. Just put it on. I know. I mean, not that the BB isn't going through some issues, but just write the check <laughs> and play and play the movie. But so since we're on Halloween TV, some top Halloween TV episodes, of course, we have to start with 90210 as it's due. Of course. I don't know if I mentioned this episode in our 90210 special, um, but in season two, the episode Unmasked is like a Halloween themed episode. Um, It's not like especially spooky like they're just still in high school going through things and then they go to the beach club and there's like a costume contest i don't remember who dressed up as what some there was a robert pattinson as edward cullen because that was the twilight Mm -hmm. days um i don't know if that was anybody in the actual cast but i've always loved this episode because maybe i did talk about this on the podcast but there's a scene between silver and teddy where she's going through a lot with her family and she takes him onto the roof of the school to hit tennis balls. And oh, yeah. there's the song Sweet Disposition by the Temper Trap. And oh my God, I just, I love that scene so much. And it just happens to be in the Halloween episode. <laughs> <laughs> so I love it. Um, that's not a Halloween episode that I like rewatch like for Halloween. Cause it doesn't, it's, I don't know. It's like not the kind of like, Oh, like a Halloween town. Like I have to watch that every year, but whenever I do watch it, I'm like, Oh, this is just, chef's kiss like the golden era of television (laughs) (laughs) but one that i do watch um probably like every other year is and it's not even a halloween episode of dawson's creek in season five i think the episode aired in december (laughs) (laughs) so that's how random the show was um they just did like random like horror episodes because it was created by kevin williamson who i believe wrote scream and did other horror things 
Um, but the episode is called Four Scary Stories, and it's just like vignettes of the characters just like sitting in a room and telling scary stories of like mm-hmm. things that have happened to them. And it is truly one of the most chilling episodes of television I've ever seen for just like a teen drama. Um, there's one where like Joey is being chased through the fourth floor of her college library and it's really scary. And then there's um, Pacey's story is like he's getting, he's on a date and then he gets chased by this car. And when the car stops, they get out and there's nobody in the car. Oh, wow. oh my! I know it's just so it, there's two more and oh my god it's so scary um but I love I remember watching that episode as a kid on TBS when it was in syndication <laughs> but now I just love watching it every year because it's it's like a little condensed horror movie in four parts that's cool I'm assuming it's better than that like those what was it, three vignettes from the Riverdale's first season where they're like on the, the road together. They were doing like a triptych or something. And I remember thinking like, we could have, we could have workshopped it more. It could have, <laughs> <laughs> it could have been better. I think the, the best version though was the night gallery um, for all oh, those yes. horror stories. Mm-hmm. That was a wonderful um, episode of Riverdale where we got to see like, the Rat King and um, Archie being haunted by what happened in the war. And then um, uh, Betty's whole Hephaestus moment, like she's like the god of the workshop and she's like chainsawing a man down. (laughs) What was that episode in season two um, where she goes to that house alone at night to talk to the Black Hood? You guys remember oh, that episode? Man, yes. yes. That yes. was like was a terrifying. really good episode and it was so scary. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love, I feel like Riverdale had so many like Halloween-like episodes that it's hard to remember if they were actually Halloween themed. It's one of those shows that have like such an like, airy quality. It lends itself to the, the uh, tone of Halloween so well that even if they didn't storybook or like storyline a Halloween episode, if it erred during Halloween, it would go down in history as a great Halloween episode. And mm-hmm. Why didn't we have something like that on this year? That would have been awesome. It would have been. They have so many, like you have so many shows to choose from. Uh, like recent CW shows, past CW shows. There's so much, there's so much in the catalog. I'm sorry, I'm always going to be sad about it. Like <laughs> until, until they get it together. I mean, The Flash even has one. I forget the name of the villain, but he's played by a contortionist. No. Um, and oh yes it's uh, um he's like got this mask and he's like really red dreads and he like he fit himself into boxes and he's sort of got like the bone structure of a rat where you're able they, they're able to squeeze through um holes the size of a quarter as long as the size of the quarter they can get through it mm-hmm. and the okay. same thing can happen with this villain ragdoll um, i believe that's what he was called yes ragdoll, every time he's you so guys creepy. tell me something about the flash i never see it coming <laughs> <laughs> that's what the show has become uh, yes, and the, the the promo for it was so great because it starts. Um, I remember I was, I was I have to be home tonight. I have to watch it because it starts where it's I think it's just Barry in um, his house and Ragdoll's in a Christmas box, right? It's a yeah. it's a present, and he Barry's just going to like the fridge and he swears he hears something, and he does. It's Ragdoll slowly coming out of the box. It's very creepy. They, they did very excellent with that episode. Yeah, it's so good because like at the end of the day, that villain can't be that powerful against the Flash because at the end of the day, you move at the super speed. Very few people can hold anything against you. But 
because he was so terrifying, it made Barry stop for a couple of minutes. It just, I, I feel like they used the tone, Halloween tone, everything. I don't even know if you would really call it like a traditionally Halloween episode, but just like Riverdale, that's one of them shows that really lends itself to that, that if you have a spooky villain, you know how to use it and direct it. Um, it really, it, it lives forever as one of the show's most intense episodes. And Ragdoll is such a great villain. And even though they didn't use him that much, I don't think any of his appearances really lived up to that first one because he really relied so heavily on tone and atmosphere mm-hmm. and the way it was shot. And of course, the way you would see the limbs coming out of the box and he would spin around and his head would turn around at times as well. It yeah. was it was terrifying, but epically done at the same time. Like you have to commend it. It was really, really good. I'm going to need some YouTube clips. <laughs> oh, yes. <we're> <laughs> yes. Is this, Michael, was that his, when, uh, Candace, Iris, when Iris jumps off the roof to save Barry, is yes. that that same episode? I'm pretty sure that was that. For, that was his first episode. I think that was that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, because there's a moment where like she's trying to help Barry. Barry's been tied to a chair, and um, Ragdoll pushes him off the side of a building. And Iris, powerless, she jumps off the building <laughs> to go save her husband. And she like she does like a whole um, skydiving move so she can make herself like more aerodynamic, and she saves him. It, it doesn't quite make sense about how he got out of the chair, but it doesn't matter because it's a cool scene. <laughs> it's a cool scene. Didn't she have, he was wearing Matacuffs, I think, and she yeah. had the key or something, and the both of them admit her trying to stick the key into the <laughs> Matacuffs, and then he goes out the other speeder down. But yeah, what a moment. It was a great moment. And I was like, if she had dropped the key, it was over for both of y'all, but that's love. <laughs> Okay, but like, so the Airbus also had another one. There's Star Girls Halloween episode. Yeah, I really liked Star Girls Halloween episode because it wasn't really a Halloween episode, and it wasn't really a villain-centric episode either. It just happened to be set at Halloween, and as we know with shows about teenagers and high schools and everything, that can really work well for the atmosphere. I remember the episode was. It was right around the time they were recruiting Iron Man. I think it was the fifth episode of the first season. So it was still technically a DC Universe show at this point. Um, And they were recruiting Iron Man. And I can't remember if they went into the party dressed up or anything, but no, nobody would have noticed they were dressed up because it was a Halloween party. And um, uh, it was right, right around the time when uh, we didn't know Cindy was uh, Dragon King's daughter. All we thought she was just the rich girl with uh, that was so mean. And she was like, what are you doing here, new girl? And like they really just relied on atmosphere because there would be people walking around in big werewolf masks and scaring people all the time. One per- character would be talking to someone who they thought was someone because they had the same mask on and then it would turn out it wasn't. I just remember thinking it was a, such a unique kind of Halloween episode because like for The Flash, for example, it really relied on terror and everything. And Stargirl didn't do any of that. It just happened to be set at Halloween. But like when they were recruiting Iron Man, they'd be out, they'd be out on like that, a dark highway by a tree after a car crash. And you just, it would be totally dark. And yet the staff would be the only source of light. And for Stargirl being such a like inherently bright show, it was quite a dark visually episode. And they, I think that really lent itself nicely. I don't know whether they planned on it or around Halloween time. It did. But um. I just, I love that. I thought it was class. And um, again, Stargirl is one of those shows that really lends itself to the whole tone. I said before, there's something eerie about Stargirl because of how whimsical it is. I know when we talked about it being like a Disney movie, we said something similar. It's kind of got like a Scooby-Doo like quality to it. And that really came off in that episode. And it was such just such a great atmosphere. One Halloween episode that just came to mind that I forgot to talk about is uh, the WandaVision Halloween Spooktacular episode. Uh, when they all dressed up and uh, Wanda, of course, dressed up as the Scarlet Witch. 
before we knew she was the Scarlet Witch and Vision dressed up like his old Vision episode or Vision costume. I just think of all the all the WandaVision episodes. That's the one that kind of stayed with me. I know it's not a CW show, but I just feel like if you're going to do a Halloween episode, uh, bend towards all of the great Halloween uh, tropes, you say. And I think that episode had all of them. It was such a great atmospheric treat. But yeah, even something like that, again, I know it's Disney, but if you heard something fun, like a sitcom Halloween episode on the CW lineup at Halloween, I think that'd be just so much more original than what they've got right now. Yeah, so if you don't want to watch World's Funniest Animals or whatever the other thing was, we've given you, <laughs> we've given you a solid watch list. <laughs> there's, there's just so much to choose from. The WandaVision one is good. I have one more before we move on because sure. I, I just remembered it. It's 911. The, um, and I don't know if that was a Halloween Ooh. episode, but it was, um, it's supposed to be Halloween-esque. It's the Valentine's Day episode that ends up being a horror. And oh, it's it's so great because you have, um, like, I think Abby and Buck are on their first date and he ends up choking on um, on some food. He's never choked in, in, at all on the show. This is the first time he does. And he's the, she has to do the, um, she has to trach him in order to get him air. And then you have, Athena, who goes to go check up on a young lady she thought was having a rough Halloween with her boyfriend. Turns out her boyfriend was having a rough Halloween with her. She super glued this man. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, like she like she found out that he had another date. um, And so she decided to chop him up. And she's got like a bunch of different um, mental health issues. And so when like Athena comes to see her, she thinks she's just helping this young girl out but she circles back because she realized something's wrong and she finds this man he's she had she he was on her craft table and she had glued his parts back together and she said don't touch him he's setting once i fix him he'll be all right and oh, all he needs is a new heart and she wants to take athena's heart and i was like this is this is the worst valentine's day ever <laughs> for all the characters involved Nine one one is just like so committed to being out there <laughs> yes it's, it's a great episode though so yes we have a full lineup of episodes you could watch on streaming services if you can find them or dvds if you own them mm-hmm. um and enjoy yourself because cw is not providing you with the content that you need on on halloween unless of course you tune into the winchesters and watch uh, stream episode three because that that was um that was a time i don't want to look at burlap sacks um ever again New Fear Unlocked. (laughs) (laughs) I love this episode, though, which Mm -hmm. I know we were kind of lukewarm on episode two. Mm -hmm. um, But there were so many moments in this episode that I really, 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 really loved. So should we start with should we start with the John and Mary of it all or should we stay in the horror part of it and then come back to John and Mary? let's end with John and Mary because I have a lot to say okay. <laughs> <laughs> well like I mean this episode funnily enough we were just talking about it reminded me of the ragdoll episode of the flash mm-hmm. very very creepy very kind of body horror very focused on is it a demon I don't know very very much focused on that and it also I say this it fondly reminded me of some of Supernatural's best episodes because it made you want to look away but unable to look away and mm-hmm. I, I feel like if, 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 if it accomplished that, it nailed that. And first, like, again, if, if I didn't make it clear, the monster was terrifying. The hands coming out of that bag the first time that you see them. Now, when that baby turned around and she was like, Bernice, and I was like, honey, you don't know where that bag has been. Does that look like the bag that you owned? Why are we sticking our hands in it? <laughs> 
Oh, it was like, I feel like a lot of the shows that we watch lately have been going into like their version of the upside down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and this was like really, really scary because the, the stakes were so high. Like if they didn't get out of that bag, they were staying in the bag and that's not the bag you want to be in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and even but, if you like, cause you had to, what did they say? If you destroy the creature, but they're not out of the bag, then they're destroyed too. It's like his little pocket world goes away mm-hmm. and that's yeah. the end of their existence. Yeah. yeah. I, I love how Mary was so, like, she has no other option. Like she, mm-hmm. she's always going to be brave. She's always going to be like, I'm going to deal with this now. And then you guys figure it out. Like that's always her, her vibe. And that's not me. Can't relate. So <laughs> I like, I love watching it and I commend her. And Meg was so good too. Mm-hmm. She was. She's so committed to it because you really, I feel like you really get uh, Mirai, just that she's so headstrong from her. Um, and I know a lot of people say, is that bravery or is that stupidity running in without a fully formed plan? But I think it was bravery in this case because Michael, are you quoting Nancy Drew? <laughs> I am not. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, but, we'll get uh, to that one in a couple yeah, minutes. We will. We will. <laughs> Foreshadowing on my part. Um, but uh, John did not trust himself. John is still struggling with whether, with whether he has cut out for the uh, hunter lifestyle. And yet Mary threw him right in at the deep end with a situation where he had to be the one to figure out, of course, not to take away from Lata, who was like the MVP of this episode. Mm-hmm. But John had to do a, very, a lot of thinking on his feet and come up with ideas. And then he was the one who thought about uh, communicating with her on the walkie talkie. Um, he really came through when he had to. And I feel like it was Mary's kind of headstrong I'm going to rush in and save the day that forced him to do that and again there's a second layer of that conversation which comes back to their whole relationship which we'll talk about later but I just feel like again for being such a like villain of the week episode huge character moments for both of them it was and I think she I mean she's someone who's she's a force of nature anyway and she Mm -hmm. was going to um, run headlong into danger but also specifically this is about kids and not just kids who she doesn't know these are kids she takes care of she knows them like there's there's a lot of stakes for her in this and so she because compared to them um compared to the children they're grown she's thinking about these kids stuck in the sack with this Mm -hmm. monster and so she wants to be able to help them she doesn't matter at that point in her mind they do i thought that was a lovely display of who she is as a Mm -hmm. character um how fiercely she she, protective she is and especially i know we're supposed to get on to john and mary later but i do have to say one thing about when they were in um it's carrie little girl's name is carrie right um Mm -hmm. carrie's room I felt for Mary when she said there was no room for her to dream. That yeah, you, my that goodness. Only be a hunter. It was so powerful for such an early on scene. I know they had another one later on, but like that one stayed with me. And I mean, like, I think that was kind of like the thing we needed to think about when all this horror stuff was going on in the background. Um, and I, I love that the room channels so much emotion because that was where the source of the, uh, the monster originated from in this case. And it, it brought so much back because like, I'm sure Mary wasn't that familiar with childhood bedrooms or whatever when, when she was brought into this hunter's lifestyle. And again, I know I'll get into it. I'm getting pulled into this conversation. But, let's um, just get into the John Mary. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. We're let's here. do it. We're here. <laughs> but um, he had such a like life longing for his father, looking for his father because he loved his father because 
of the life they lived before he knew everything. Whereas Mary never really had that. She's very much searching for her father now, but she never had that life where she could have been something else, where when her dad came home from the hunting, he was someone else. He was something else. He was a family man. She was just part of the business right to begin with, whereas John didn't have that. And I think that's such a, like a beautiful juxtaposition between the two of them. And it's kind of pulling them closer together because he was the one who made her confront that in the end. And she did in the end and it came through. But yeah, just again, I I find it hard to move past that scene because it came so early in the episode. And I think that was just such a wonderful scene. And it's so early in the series too. That was something that I was mm-hmm. thinking about when um, John was jumping ahead to like the climax. Um, when John was saying to Lata, I can't lose her. <laughs> I was like, okay, we're, we're getting there quick. Like for... A second, well, obviously it tore my heart out and I'm still thinking about it. Like I haven't stopped thinking about the single tear. Um, <laughs> but I was like, is this too soon for him to have these stakes? We know he's like head over heels in, in love with her, even if neither of them can communicate that yet. I don't think they've realized, but that connection is there. Um, but I was like, is this too soon? And then I was like, no, I don't care. I want to see it. So let's get to it. And I'm sure as the series goes on and hopefully there's a very long run in this future, um, those stakes will only grow the deeper their connection gets and the more they are put in danger. Like I have faith that the storytelling can outlast this one scene, but I think it was a beautiful moment to show just how deep their connection is already and how much he understands her and how much like, even if he understands her, but he doesn't understand why, their connection is so strong and but he all he knows is like I it, this can't end right now like yeah. she needs to come back I think for me it was too early until we got the scene at the end with him and Betty when she gives him the ring back and I'm like John is someone who wants partnership and he, he falls easily because of that yeah and he goes quick he follows his heart at least this John like I'm I, I hope everybody knows like Sabrina and I don't have the knowledge of like older John. So we're going with what's in the material here. (laughs) (laughs) So this John is very much like I'm in love. I'm all in um, based on him proposing to Betty as whatever. That's what I took away from that. Um, I did too. I think it is because of how sort of Betty wants to be a friend, uh, but also you could tell she had been uncomfortable with how fast he had been moving and he agrees that she made um, the right decision not to um, not to say yes. Uh, but I just, it is interesting that I wonder if some of this has to do with being raised by a single mom who got left by his dad, you know, wanting to have partnership yeah. with someone, mm-hmm. wanting to be able to work with someone. And in John's mind, Mary's the key to all of that. Um, mm-hmm. And they're both giving each other things that they need. I love that he gives her space. Well, has her give her own self space to dream, to envision a life mm-hmm. outside of a hunter. And I love how visually the hat that she's wearing, um, that was her dad's, you can tell that he's her hero. She does not mm-hmm. want to disappoint Samuel and leaving hunting would disappoint Samuel, which is why she could not let go of it at first. And I think one of the things that this, the first half of this season seems to be doing is allowing these kids to find their own paths, paths outside of what their parents want for them. Yeah. And it's so layered as well, because 
Mary clearly wants that life outside of hunting, but at the same time, she's afraid of disappointing her dad or she doesn't want I don't know if she's fully accepted the idea that there could be a life afterwards, but mm-hmm. what really makes the story interesting is that I think it's John that's helping her see that. And I do think she's very much connected to him yet, even, even though she doesn't realize it yet. Um, but he is so excitable about hunting and wants to be the best hunter in the world and learn to impress his father. So it's interest, It's an interesting conflict because the very person who's making her realize that there is a life after hunting is also the very person who wants to do it for the rest of his life. So you know what I mean? Like it's, it's very, it's all the dynamics here as far as hunting goes is so like deep. But also I agree. I was wondering, or is it too early for us to get this connected? But then they went and did the typical thing by in- introducing a new obstacle into the mix right at the <laughs> end, which is this man she met at the movie theater. Oh my God. I don't trust that. him. No. And <laughs> I don't it, 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 it broke me a little bit because you saw how like... um puppy dog John was like, oh, let's go to the movies together at the start. And then she went not only on her own, but then met someone else there. And I'm like, oh, this is going to break him. Even if he's not aware of how connected he is to her yet, he will be when he finds out that she went with someone else. And I don't think this is, this is, this is too important to just be a, he's never going to show up again. This, I assume this character is going to have something of a role going forward. And It'll definitely spice things up. I feel like the the the, the iconic John at Mary dynamic that we were seeing right out of the gate might end up taking a back seat for a little while as this obstacle, whoever he may be, and no doubt there's more to him than that, plays a role in the next few episodes, if he's in the next few episodes. But yeah, it's very exciting because they're shocked just by going there so quickly and now they've pulled back. So where do we go from here? Is he connected to um I don't know what the character's name is, Bridget Reagan's. Oh, Rock and Roxy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder. Maybe. I, it just is very strange. I mean, how it's framed, how he just pops up at the theater. And he's, yes, going to go see the exact same movie that she's going to go see while and one of the so creatures is going to in that moment. Mm. She was. She was opening herself up to being like, I'm going to take the night off. Um, and he just slides in and she's like, oh, fun. And I'm like, Mary. <laughs> Has John opened that door, though? Why isn't John yeah. here? <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, fair enough. Look at him getting rid of the big burlap sack and burning it. Good on you, John. But like, couldn't you have done that and went to the movie theater with her? It was your idea after all. Um, yeah. But I wonder, it has to be tied to more than that. Of course, it's it, it was a sweet moment of you weren't shipping John and Mary. It was a sweet moment that she went and met someone outside the theater and it could lead to more. But like with the type of show this is and you know what the end game is, that ain't going to happen. There has to be more layers to the story. And I do wonder if it's down to Rock and Rock. And can I just say we went from wannabe Poison Ivy last week to real Poison Ivy this week. So great <laughs> to see Bridget back on screen and whatever. I assume I assume she's the leader of the Akrita um, that they're talking about because they said it inhabited a, fem- or a, woman body, a woman's body. And uh, Rock and Roxy is now starting to spread demonic music over the airwaves um so i assume that's who she is and those creatures that come around with her um there's there's such a great atmosphere around that character and this is only the first time you've seen her face i really can't wait to see what kind of role she plays going forward oh she always slays a villain oh without a doubt she does and she looked different too they gave her like a fringe and she looked really cool as oh I'm going to love to hate you, but you're going to be like a great villain. Um, But I think this episode had everything. It has cuteness. It has softness. It has a bit of mystery because you have Lata um, lying about her parents being dead because apparently Mm. her mom is alive. 
So that's interesting. And then we have Ada torturing the bonsai demon tree with Carlos watching. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that he had like a quote, like he was like, wait, but you told him he was going to be free. It was interesting that Carlos was like, you weren't honest. And Ada was like, he's mm-hmm. a demon. He's going in the tree. I was yeah. on Ada's side. <laughs> I was like, girl, you do it. <laughs> and then she's like, she was cutting the bonsai, but now she's like ripping branches off. I was like, can the demon feel that? What are you doing, Ada? <laughs> <laughs> oh there's a dark side era and i can't wait to see it explored more and we might just need it considering how like terrifyingly a creator are gonna be and i feel like they're very much giving Ada her own arcs right now and it's cool that they got carlos in on it but i would like as the show goes on to see how she kind of interacts with all the characters because they've created this whole like scooby gang dynamic already and it doesn't feel like she's really part of it so I feel like maybe is she going to be their secret weapon going forward? I just, I can't wait to see more of her and not isolated from the rest of the pack. Yeah, I think she's going to chafe under Mary's leadership though, mm. because there's a split second scene where she was annoyed when um, Mary gave her yet another directive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was interesting. I mean, this, again, this episode had everything, even had emotional manipulation by giving us a slightly feral, well, no, he's pretty feral, a feral jo- John. But he's like a like a crying one. So I, it's going to be interesting if he starts fighting over. Melted my heart. I'm a John Winchester, Drake Rogers stan. We've known this since before the premiere. <laughs> <laughs> but this episode oh, just tore my heart out. I loved it so much. Um, yeah, there's just the looks between John and Mary and Drake and Meg. It's like I'm lapping it up, eating it with a spoon. I love seeing the like the the breadth of who he is like he was mm. an adorable awkward just puppy around betty because he was like i don't want <laughs> mary <laughs> to see this um but of course mary clocks it because she's she's our nancy she's always filing things away but i don't think she cares that much or like she didn't put that much stock into it she was just like something's going on but you handle it it's fine um but I don't know. I just love how much they trust each other so much. Yeah. Like she trusted the- him to find her. Yeah. You guys, that that was, they were wrong for that. They were right for it. <laughs> but I was like, how are you going to do that to me? <laughs> it's those big things. And it's the small things too. It's like the way that he calls her his friend. There's something deeper behind the way that he says friend. And mm-hmm. um, that's, down to Drake's delivery, but I'm just like, you say friend the same way you would say girlfriend. Um, and I really enjoy that about John. I know Mary sees it. I do wonder if the new guy, if he's not a part of the Akrita, whether or not he's a path to um, a normal life. And that's what they're gonna do, mm. like juxtapose relationships with. She has this really strong connection with John in the field and they're getting really close. And then she, I don't even know that man's name, but like she <laughs> movie, movie theater guy. She um they have a connection too and it's normal and he doesn't know anything about her monster hunting life. And I'm just like it's gonna be John obviously, but this road to to Mary and John is going to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. It came for us with the content this week and they attacked us and we loved every last minute of it. What a comeback. Yeah, yes. Can't wait for episode four. I cannot believe we're already on episode four. It's going to be a month. Wow. Okay, but what happened at next? Not, is it even close? Where is Blue Valley again? Is it south? Nebraska. Nebraska. Uh, <laughs> Nebraska? Wow. 
I don't know anything about geography, so I'll say Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this was week part two of in the Infinity Inc. saga. Remember last week I took a break and uh, brought Green Lantern's daughter back into the fray. She wanted to find her brother and he has the power of darkness, just like the shed. And when he kind of like exploded into shadows, Pat and the shed kind of tried to protect Courtney and uh, Jenny from the blast. And it ended up sending the two of them into the Shadowlands. So this was very much a tale of two halves. Um, but it was very much done to wrap up the Infinity Inc. saga. And um, so we know Mr. Bones is running the Helix Academy. And we also thought Mr. Bones was the person watching blue, everyone in Blue Valley uh, on the cameras, because every time you seen the cameras, there was a gloved hand, what looked like the like a cuff of a blazer or a suit jacket. And they were doing a jigsaw with a skull on it. So everyone's like, clearly it's Mr. Bones. No, this week we find out that it actually wasn't Mr. Bones watching them. Uh, Mr. Bones is exactly what he says on the turn. He is running the Helix Academy, and the only reason, the only thing remotely shady about him is that the Helix Academy takes in youths with superpowers who have to be isolated from the rest of the world. But he does look after them, he does protect them, he does love them. But uh, he said to Courtney, the difference with you and your friends is you can put down the staff, you can take off the mask, you can take off the Green Lantern ring. The problem with us and uh, Green Green Lantern's daughter's brother. I'm going to call him Todd going forward. Uh, Todd is that he is his power. He doesn't possess his power. He can't turn it off. He is his power. Just like Mr. Bones is a walking skeleton. Uh, his skin is transparent, translucent, so you can see the skull through his face. He also has a cyanide touch, which means if he takes off his, gla- or his gloves and touches a plant, it dies. He touches anything, it dies. So there's no getting away from their power. So basically... Mr. Bones was trying trying to say that Todd should stay with them because he said they said Green Lantern's daughter might accidentally burn down a building with her ring, but Todd could literally destroy the world. So he has to stay with us so we can suppress his power. And then Courtney talked him around and said, people should not be hiding from the world for being different. They deserve to be part of the world. And you're trying to keep him away from his sister when I think the love his sister has for him is the very thing that could curb that power. Just like Courtney's staff brings out the best in her, the Green Lantern Ring could bring out the best in her her brother. And they did that. And they managed to make it work. And Courtney, or no, Jenny and her brother reunited after all this time. And the shadows stopped. Meanwhile, over on the other dimension, Pat and the Shed were trying to break out and the Shed thought that because the Shadowlands make sure you see your the worst parts of yourself or your worst fears. So Pat was seeing his father telling him that uh, he was always a disappointment. He was seeing his son, Mike, telling him that because you brought Courtney in, you've loved Pat, Barbara and Courtney. I feel left out. I feel as left out as you had as you did as a child. So Pat was seeing the worst about himself, but also what the Shade didn't expect was that he would see the worst about himself as well, which is basically in the 1800s, his sister died and he wasn't there because he tried to remove all of the connections from his life because he thought connections made people weak. So uh, he had to deal with that and cope with that. So the Pat, Pat and the Shed kind of ended up bonding over their weaknesses and they helped each other survive in the Shadowlands. But the good news is that when Jenny and her brother Todd uh, worked out their differences and came back together, the darkness that was in Jenny's ring, uh, Green Lantern ring, ended up, she gave it back to Todd and that made him whole again. And that unwound the awkwardness. Remember last week I said the Shed and Green Lantern's daughter's ring 
they were interwoven and that was making neither of their powers were working right because she did that the shade got his power back fully they were free from the shadowlands and the green lanterns were light and the shades darkness were no longer interwoven but right as the episode was about to end uh pat was like shed you want to redeem yourself from all your darkness but that's not just not doing bad things you also need to do some good as well so we convinced uh todd obsidian that he could teach him how to use the power of the shadows so they've gone off and done their own thing jenny's decided to join them so they're away off to new york city and the shed is now going to teach them he's going to be a good person he's going to be a teacher and i hope we see him again because i do i adore the shed he is such a, a unique character um and i feel like maybe they'll be back for the finale because he honestly couldn't care less what's going on in Blue Valley. He just wanted his powers fixed, and now they are. But he's going to do some good with that. But uh, basically, on the way back to Blue Valley, you can see Pat is still a little broken by what happened in the Shadowlands. He's not his usual quirky self. And Courtney's talking about how they're going to save Blue Valley, and they're going to find out who's behind the cameras. But Pat really couldn't care less at this point, because he, I think he's kind of been broken by everything that happened in the Shadowlands. And uh, the big, most exciting thing from the episode is... Courtney was like, if Mr. Bones and the Helix Academy weren't watching us, who was? And it cut back to the room with all the cameras in it. As this was all happening, everyone in Blue Valley destroyed the cameras. There are no cameras left. So so the person watching them can't see what's happening in Blue Valley anymore. And you saw the gloved hand get very angry. It zoomed up over the blazer and we saw that this was actually a hooded figure. And when it seemed that all of the cameras were gone, it punched a hole through the TV screens and walked off in a strut. So we don't know who it is. Me, with all my DC knowledge, knows nothing about who this character is. Cindy. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't see Cindy this week. Um, But yeah, that's it. The Infinity Inc. saga is over now. I feel like this was designed. Mr. Bones also said maybe they were right in the end. Maybe these people deserve to be seen by the world. And because he had such a close-up interaction with the Justice Society of America, he was like, maybe it's time we start our own team. So I feel like Mr. Bones is going to use all the people, all the kids staying at the Helix Academy and form his own basically X-Men, where he has all these power, or all these kids with superpowers. Um, and then meanwhile, I think Jenny and Todd are going to form their own little Infinity Inc. kind of unit uh, where they're being taught by the Shed. So, but of course, the big story is who is watching them in Blue Valley? It's not Mr. Bones. Who is uh, and who killed the gambler? Because now we're none the wiser again. The big running theory, since Mr. Bones was the, the tagline from last season, he was the like kind of tag at the end credits. Everyone was like, Mr. Bones is coming to season three. Turns out Mr. Bones isn't as bad as people thought. So now we don't know. It wasn't Cindy. It wasn't uh, the Crocs. It wasn't um, Dragon King. And now, you know, it wasn't Mr. Bones. Who is killing people in Blue Valley? Who attacked Starman and who is watching them? Well, was watching them. Before I wrap up, the teaser for next week shows that Courtney learned a lot during her trip to the Helix Academy and wants to tell Cameron the truth about everything. So uh, she wants to tell him all about his father and that she is Stargirl and that his father was a villain. But I think I told you before that Rec. Our man does not like Cameron. The two of them have clashed before. And then Cameron used his ice powers to burst Rick's car tires. Um, So the two of them do not like each other. And now Rick is like, 
uh, jacked up on full-time hourglass, which we think is going to create an addiction problem. The promo for next week shows that uh, Rick starts destroying Cameron's house. So I assume that spoils us and that Cameron does find out about Stargirl in the JSA, but Rick's off doing his own thing, destroying the mansion. And the grandparents get in on the action, shooting their ice powers at next week as well. So I feel like this is kind of like the moment in the season we were all waiting for. Still no Cindy sighting yet, but um, as far as the Cameron saga goes, I think it's just about to kick off next week. You're not going to get to tell him. It's going <laughs> to come out and it's going to be horrible. And I'm going to feel so bad for Courtney. The way that you describe this episode, though, it seems like the storytelling and the writing was very smart. And like there was some mm-hmm. metaphors and symbolism going on, which mm-hmm. is always my favorite kind of storytelling in genre. I know I love that in Buffy when it was like everything was a metaphor for like being a teenager's hell and Buffy has to literally fight monsters. Um, But the way that you describe certain things, I was like, Oh, I see what they're getting at. If you look a little deeper, it's not just people trying to um, deal with these things. It's, it goes a little, a little deeper, Mm -hmm. which I like. I think that's where Stargirl thrives because everyone talks about how Courtney's a source of light. And we were literally talking about a storyline here that involved literal lightness and literal darkness. And it turned into a metaphor about how these people who have been shielded by the Helix Academy don't deserve to be hidden away in the dark. They need to be pulled out into the light to be embraced by the world. And it took someone like the almighty Stargirl to do that. Um, I think the show traffics or like thrives as far as like emotional metaphor goes, goes and it, I think that's where its strongest suit is. A lot of these shows use that format on an episodic basis. Stargirl finds a way to drag it out over the whole season. And I think that's where the higher quality streaming quality television comes from. Because again, I keep saying this, it was a streaming show to begin with. And that was only for a two-parter. I can't wait to see how those arcs play into the rest of the season. Because though these, these last two episodes have been very much like a little island on their own. We're back to the main story now. We have, what, six episodes left? Maybe seven, six. Uh, sorting out who, who killed the gambler, who's been watching everyone in Blue Valley. And again, we still don't know how Cameron or Ed, uh, the Icicle Junior powers play into the storyline at all. And then, of course, I assume Cindy will be back by the end of it. So there's a lot of like fighting, uh, the, the, the light fighting darkness, but it's, it's, it's more than the literal power of the cosmic staff versus the power of the shadows. There's real like important like metaphorical meanings below that. And again, I just love Stargirl so much. I just, I can't wait till next week, but more than that, I just, it's, it's at its best right now. And I just hope it keeps going and gets that fourth season it deserves. Yes. Renew Stargirl CW and also potentially give them a spinoff with the Helix Academy. I would love that. That's what it sounds like. The fans go nuts every time those characters pop up. They, we love Green Lantern's daughter, and I would just, I would love to see her more than the average like two to three episodes a season. Make it happen. Manifesting that. <laughs> yes. Uh, but speaking of great television, we do have to um, tell you guys that our windy screeners are up, which means that our, our Walker Independence reviews are going to be later than you're used to. So they will no longer be dropping after um, a new episode airs. Uh, you're going to be waiting for like a week, the week after <laughs> an episode <laughs> airs, unfortunately, uh, because the CW does not release weekly uh, episodes for screeners, unlike other networks. So hopefully in the years to come, they'll change that. But for now, that is not the case. And we are, we are going to be watching on the night with you guys on Thursdays um, instead of dropping a premiere. Which is unfortunate, but I mean, the episode is always good, so we just have to wait to tell you our thoughts yeah. on it. <laughs> We're watching it with the Walker fan. <laughs> yes. Uh, but 
Moving on to more great CW television, there's Nancy Drew, episode 15. Nancy is going through it. She's always going through it, but she was really going through it this episode. I mean, and so are we. Honestly. I, <laughs> <laughs> says it better than anything I could. Um, I mean, come on. Like, yes, the season finale is in sight, but the show has been doing this for the last who knows how many episodes off the back of last week. You're like, they couldn't possibly make us feel any worse or better. I don't know. How does Nancy Drew make us feel? Both. Um, and it did it all again in one episode. As usual, before we get into the whole seriousness of it, I feel like we go over this every week. I just want to talk about what a palate cleanser S was, because yet again, in that first scene, when they all like group together in the claw, bright as when they figure out we're going to do this and you're going to do that and how are we going to solve this? Again, S just comes along with the lighthearted commentary. Um, and when they were talking about like the the, the demonic Agleka, and uh, S is like, "Oh yeah, that's not real. I asked her for a PS3 and she didn't get it for me." And I was like, <laughs> "It was so <laughs> funny." It was like, "I asked her for a PS3. I didn't get the PS3, but I asked for it." <laughs> <laughs> he just reiterated that. Um, like again, that just summed him up. I know a very dark episode. You need that kind of levity, but like I, I love the fact that we can rely on the first scene where they're talking about something so dark and terrifying, and he comes along with the, the the lighthearted content every time. I live for those scenes, and like it always starts the episode on a high for me. Yes, and he was so game to really help mm-hmm. Nancy. I mean, he always is. Um, but there's just something about the way the two of them sort of interact with one another. That's uh, that's really nice. I know we're always on Nace Watch. Nace Watch is not going anywhere. But like, I feel like this was also a very, it was a Drew Crew um, mm. heavy episode. And that was really nice. Everyone had their own moving parts, um, including Owen, who I know they're still trying to sell us on him. And I'm still not buying it. I'm so sorry, mm-hmm. sir. But I, something's not right. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a Hold bit of it. Calling them knowing because no. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. I'm in a strange spot with them because I know they're not endgame. I don't want them to be endgame. And I would like whatever mystery they're holding over us to be finished as soon as possible. But at the same time, I like their scenes together. I don't know what it Mm -hmm. is. I'm not particularly shipping them, but like when they're, when they're, when they have those moments, it's like one of those things where you can't really look away. I want to see what happens next. I want to know what the agenda is here. There's so much unsaid between the two of them. And I really am eager to find out what it all is. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't like them, but I like watching the scenes, if that makes sense. It does. Cause they're, it's it's fine. (laughs) There, I think. If I wasn't waiting for the shoe to drop, I think I'd find them sweet. He mm-hmm. clearly does care a lot about her. I don't know why, though. I'm like, um, he just seemed very invested off the bat. And that could have just been because he was attracted to her. It just feels, I just, there's something that Owen is not saying that keeps coming up in some capacity in the story. Like, even when when um, Bess was talking about their ancestor and she makes a comment and then he's like, well, you don't really want to know the rest of those stories. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you connected to this ancestor? This is why the sea creature wants to you? Because why were you the one in the mirror mm-hmm. about to die? Okay, yeah. Let's just fast forward to that. When they were asking the Aglaika for Lucy's bones. I don't know why I could think of that. <laughs> <laughs> and he was the toll they had to pay. I was like, oh, that okay, so he's gone. I was like prepared. I was fine with it. I was like, he's he's gone. But then they saved him. Um 
rewind like four seconds when Ace was like, thank you. <laughs> 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 um, but, but yeah, I thought he was a definite goner and I'm still not convinced that the Aglaika is not going to, you know, circle back and be like, I, I'm finishing this finishing this off mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> but i thought it was an interesting um sorry i don't mean to step okay. on your thought um but like right after he almost died and he and nancy hook up i was like interesting decisions all around mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it was an interesting decision the, that uh, the, the aglaica how do you pronounce that aglaica yeah. yeah the aglaica when um nancy's being punished because there you could have left the wreath and a wet spot on the kitchen floor. Instead, you made her like pull it out of her throat. That creature is mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, like, is that what that was at the end? Yeah, that was the wreath. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, I was going to ask you guys what that was because that was one of the most vile things I've ever watched. <laughs> yes, that monster is is not happy that her toll was not paid. And I do think it has to connect to the ancestors, the Marvin ancestors, because. Mm-hmm. Um, they were on the boat too. And then the creatures from the boat, I was like, what were y'all doing on your way to this place? Because something's never right in Horseshoe Bay. And somehow it always comes back to the Hudson's and the Marvins. Mm-hmm. I feel like the show, we're, we're heading so close towards the finale now. Like the main mystery has to be solved. But now we have this like vengeful spirit that may tie into like the deeper lore of the show. And you're like, will this get solved in however many ep- three episodes we have left? Three, right? And um, however many we have left. Based on what I know, I think she's sticking around for a half uh, minute. <laughs> I had a feeling, but now I know. <laughs> it's interesting because again, there are so many layers to the story. And we we're so close to the end of the main one. Speaking of layers, what about Miss Karen um, and her, yes. uh, the poison and uh, Lucy? Didn't see and, it coming. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I that, mean, that was strange. I mean, right? strange in the sense that like, it made more sense for why she latched on to Nancy's book. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, already. Like I was like, wait, did you feel the um wagon circling do you know your time was up because <laughs> it just seems it's very her whole situation I was like you wanted to get revenge for your best friend but you ended up making up with a lot of terrible choices and put a man in jail that you supposedly cared for who was also the husband of your deceased best friend and you broke his daughter's heart as a Karen, the choices were not good none of them all around they were terrible <laughs> did Karen know that Josh, oh, wait, no, no one knows who killed Lucy. No, right? Okay, yeah, but she knew that. Okay, she knew everything that happened with Josh because she gave Josh the poison mm-hmm. to kill Ryan. Mm-hmm. She assumed Ryan killed Lucy. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then she thought yeah. that Drew did it. Not Drew, Carson did it, which is why she put him. And it was she. So she had no clue who actually did it. <laughs> she was just like, I'm gonna. <laughs> Take what I can get. <laughs> yes, there was no concrete evidence that she thought there was. So it's it's is interesting how twisted this tale has become. And that doesn't even touch the fact that Josh took himself off the hook and walked mm-hmm. out of the garage. Was there something supernatural related to that? Because the camera did the whole like uh, jolty thing right beforehand. And then he looked like he was walking off like a zombie and disappeared through the door. That There was no door. It was like so, a closet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So did somebody something possess him like we knew he was dead and then they're just carrying on totally like oh there's a serial killer out there but like 
nobody walks like that. Um, the camera went wonky and uh, he walked, disappeared into a closet. I assume there's something supernatural at work here. I just don't know why they haven't discussed it yet. I, I did love the scene when they seen him walk into the closet and the three of them just kind of went like out there. And like, no, Nancy, don't, don't, don't. And she went and looked anyway. It's great. It was a great moment. I think there's so many. What's interesting to me about Joss's situation, though, is that Lucy doesn't seem to care. And that's her brother. Right. Like she is going about her business. Like her brother is dead. And she's like, no, girl, I need you to dig me up. We'll worry about Joss later. <laughs> <laughs> I love this scene, too, circling back to Michael's um, reference when they're investigating the swapped poison and Nancy finds the vial and she's certain that it's water because she, suddenly she's a scientist and she knew like the the curvature of a, I don't know, she was way out of my pay grade. Um, but then Ace drinks it and everyone panics and he's like, see, it's just water. And then his dad was like, I can't, what Michael said, I can't decide if that was brave or stupid. And Ace was like, no, it's Nancy. I, I know that she was right. I trust her, which speaking my language ace <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um, it was very much a nancy and yes kind of like moment because he he she was going to do it and they're like no nancy we couldn't possibly and then he went and did it anyway and of course then he used nancy i thought maybe the father his father would have caught on something there that he just he totally trusted nancy blindly um, but again i feel like this is a lot the long game they're playing and again mm-hmm. a nice little subtle reference there also I, again i said it a few weeks ago but i just i love the relationship between s and his dad i just i love s's dad so much and the fact that like he oversaw the like taking care of karen and that uh nancy ran up and like begged him to listen to her because they knew karen was going to get rid of it he's just become such like he's only been in like what two episodes and he just feels like such like heart of the show and i hope we see so much more of him going forward i love the bond him and s have and again i just like i said i hope we see more of it going forward and i give them such quiet moments Mm -hmm. but still very heartfelt like when like they give you for a reason why for ace keeps looking through the doorways at his dad Mm -hmm. and like he made a promise to me when i was six and he was like yeah you were six years old like this is what i (laughs) I, I, live (laughs) yes but he does it in such a it's it's still somewhat warm when he said like he understands but it's, he's just not backing down from what he's going, what he wants to do. Uh, but and I also love that his dad respected that Ace can't give his blessing right now, and mm-hmm. so he expects that that you're gonna have to wait for it because it's not it's not happening right now. That that was very sweet, and that he listens to these kids. He's not one of the parents who's like, I know what I'm doing. Y'all go and do whatever else you're doing. He gives them a whole room. They're doing their own thing on the chart. Nick apparently knows. Um, Sign language, how many languages is that? Uh, he's up, isn't that the second one? <laughs> Nick is talented, that's what we were saying. Yes. Oh, and there was some fans in um, this episode mm. too. They're which was cute. Temporarily shacking up. Yes, he's got the couch. He's couch yeah. surfing for now. <laughs> the crumbs are being led. <laughs> Wait, so where are we on the on the status of the of the mystery i'm trying to like follow the threads how close is nancy to helping her dad because her her dad's like not convinced that he can get out of this right right and she's not anywhere closer than she was previously mm. um other than that like they package lucy's bones up and they're going to to send them off so they can get examined because as was it ace who was like yeah because you want to check to see if the knife's different and um mm-hmm. Or if there was there's something else up with the bones that doesn't correlate to what they had said happened at the scene. Uh, 
and that would get her her father off because if the knife's different and he didn't use that knife then it has to be somebody else mm-hmm. I love that scene where uh, yes, it completely it was like he finished her sentence. She had a way of thinking, and everybody else was like Nancy explain, and S just finished the sentence. And the way she said exactly, it was like the two of them are just suddenly after that episode they work together are totally on the same wavelength. And I feel like we'll see some of that going forward. But yeah, as far as the overall mystery goes, I think that so the father Drew or Carson Drews, um, uh, I get the name right once, um, uh, his. Hearing is on the day, right? And Nancy still has a couple of hours to prove, but then the wreath coming out of her mouth kind of set that off. So I assume the next episode will pick up pretty close after that if they need the other specialist to analyze the bones quickly so that they can prove that that's the miracle she's looking for, if you know what I mean. I assume either they've just dropped that thread or the next episode will pick up right away on the same day so that uh, Carson's hearing, she can provide him with that miracle. Because it feels like this has kind of become the focus point of the mystery. Of course, it's still playing on in the background, but Free and her father seems to be the priority here so that he doesn't go back to jail. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, trying to sort through. And I was like, Tiffany's case is closed-ish, just her killer is, yeah. we don't know where he is. Okay. I'm trying to keep it all in my head straight because like i'm i'm resigned to the fact that i'm never really going to fully understand the mythology of the winchesters but i'm really trying with nancy to keep it all like clear in my brain <laughs> well i think what also helps with nancy is they that everyone at this point has accepted that this is just what's happening we have yeah. ghosts lucy is helping to solve mysteries even if it does mean making nancy see hallucinations in which she's like regurgitating teeth that are not her own um uh which the, the the body horror was interesting this this mm. uh, this episode they really they were like we're not going to give you jump scares we're going to give you Nancy dropping teeth out of her mouth mm-hmm. in front I- of other people like. and it was quite interesting because i think they kind of tried to add a little bit of levity every time there was a bit of body horror like um the first teeth you heard her uh you heard her voiceover for the first time in a long time she's like thanks lucy as soon as she <laughs> spat those teeth out um, and then of course when they were at the lake and um owen started getting all bloody uh, right before that um, yes it was like thank you but I think feel like every time there was kind of like a horrifying moment they added a little bit of levity but there was no levity at the end when she started uh, regurgitating the wreath because I was saying I feel like this is now the moment they need to take this seriously and if this is going to be a big overarching presence going forward it needs to be taken seriously um, but yeah it made for a nice fun episode that they kept trying to balance out the light and the dark and then in the very end it was like no we need to absolutely be on, on, on the money here and take this seriously but um, Bess and George too, when Bess was like, I promise I won't let you get um, um, possessed again. And George yeah. was like, oh, thanks. That's reassuring. With <laughs> <laughs> so much humor. And also, can we just talk about S1? He didn't name the Horseshoe Bear Residence Bagels. Love that. <laughs> what a moment. <laughs> He's so great. I do. The, one of Nancy's Drew's great strengths is the ability to balance the lightness of the characters, especially Ace with what's going on on screen Um, because it is a very intense series and this was a very tense episode and they don't have a big budget but they always manage to make the things that they want to be creepy be creepy like even when this I'm not going to try to pronounce it again once the the, the monster um, 
comes through and it's just that black spot that starts coming towards the water and then mm-hmm. she drops the bones right there and then pulls all the way out. I was like, this is, I would never want to live here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> nope. No, but great, great moments, great special effects. They really are. They know how to do what they need to do in order to get the right amount of Fear, like it's just it's lower, it's low grade fear, but it's enough to like give shivers when it's you're effective, watching. very much so, For and sure. simple but effective. Yes, which is okay. This is why let's just hop. To, we're gonna do the roast first and then the toast mm-hmm. because with Nancy having gotten the boot, why has Nancy gotten the boot? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Ask those questions. Uh, I mean, like uh, I'm. It feels like any old week just talking about an episode now and then having to pivot to that. Again, she's going to get the ending, at least half the ending she deserves. And that's more than a lot of the shows from this season got. And that's a good thing. It's more than Tom Swift got. But like this start of this year, we were talking about the Nancy versus coming. And now here we are in the Nancy versus going the way of the Arrowverse. What happened to this network? I don't know. But I, I finished watching the episode that we just talked about. And the first thing I see is that Nancy Drew is ending. And I'm like, can we like get a break <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it feels like we get like a few weeks and they're like oh things are wonderful and then you get this and it's just like i mean in one way i am happy that this news um came out while they're still filming season four so they can't like get a wrap up mm-hmm. and it's not like uh Razzle, new mexico and in the dark where they got canceled right before their seasons premiered like that was very unfair so now everybody knows going in that the show is is going to be done so they i mean in that sense it's good that we know this early mm-hmm. but like in another sense like we could have known earlier then it just feels it feels very wrong especially for a show that is this strong and granted we haven't seen the other um two seasons we don't really i feel like we don't really need to because i feel like how can you drop off that hard after such a strong season one i don't think we've had an episode yet that we did not like or we're not or intrigued by so it just feels weird to be like if you're if you're looking for quality nancy's it i know she doesn't have the views but promo her and she will get the views Mm-hmm. I feel like this show would have been like an awesome like CBS kind of series if it had been given that chance again maybe it being too young of an audience would have made people tune out but like it reminds me it very much has some of the qualities of the classical like murder mysteries like it does remind me of Murder She Wrote an awful lot with the seaside town the police department playing such a big role the female protagonist that's always right and people continue to doubt them it very much felt like that and it just when shows like that got to thrive in a different generation, it bothers me that when this show was on a network that would have allowed it to thrive, it just unfortunately came at the wrong time because its its run has been cut so short. And like it may have four complete concise seasons that tells a story from start to finish, but it's not going to be the story that was originally set out. It could have gone on for much longer because of its procedural quality. And like, again, that's, even to talk about what kind of show it is doesn't do justice to what show it is. It's an excellent show. There's so much quality in there. We haven't had an episode yet we didn't enjoy. I have to say it's one of the best first seasons I've ever watched and it's not even finished yet. Is it, like Again, it might be too soon for some people to get attached, but that's not too soon for me to get attached. And I'm already sad that even though we're luckier than many that we still have all these seasons to go through, it just it feels like the show was snuffed out when it still had so much more to give. This is something that I feared 
I know before we all decided to watch together, I was like, I think I'm going to start watching Nancy Drew, you guys. And the, it was before the cancellations. And I was like, but I'm terrified to start it because I feel like if I start it, I'm going to have bad juju and it's going to get the show canceled. And so we waited until it got renewed and we felt like we were in the clear. Um, and now we start watching it. And don't blame me, Drew Crew. <laughs> <laughs> Just this always happens to me. I don't know what it is, but I, I still like not to be all like glass half empty, um, but four seasons is still a really great run. It's just, I always imagined at least five mm-hmm. to have like a really mm-hmm. strong legacy. Um, I don't know. It just feels like this network, there were a lot of shows that were able to thrive under the radar, like Charmed. Uh, dynasty in the dark like these are shows that people if you weren't watching them weren't really being talked about a lot but they were still like building up a lot of uh seasons like five four seasons um but the network kind of just like tossed them all to fend for themselves and that's not like you can't expect a show that you drop on a friday because you think it has a built-in audience that will show up for it or pick it up in streaming i don't know what it is but it just there's something there and i I don't want to call out what i'm really thinking (laughs) um but a lot of these shows i don't think got a fair shake um because they weren't on the the main schedule that they really focus on and promote a little bit Mm -hmm. more um but i'm still just like it, it felt like such a vote of confidence that nancy was one of the first to get renewed and it's not like a canceled mid-production like they're gonna stop it and it's not like it was airing and it got a chance to prove what season four could do ratings wise so it's just kind of like uh, it just feels like mixed signals Mm -hmm. in this era and i don't i don't know and like you said earlier there needs to be transparency and honestly the the disparity between what gets its promo and what doesn't needs to like it needs to close uh because it really doesn't make sense that Nancy Drew, a known and beloved property, doesn't have a big audience on the CW. But the reason why it doesn't is because how many people know Nancy Drew even has a new live action um, series that's been airing for years, especially because it didn't get a part of the Netflix deal. So she ended up on HBO Max. And that not that um, CW shows aren't being streamed on HBO Max, they are, but it's, I don't think it's comparable to the numbers that they get in Netflix. It just seems that like for the entirety of its existence, the CW is saved for like the Gossip Girls and the Riverdales kind of has flown under the radar. Like it's like a, a, they have huge shows, so popular, huge fandoms. Um, but it just, it seems like the, the secret on the broadcast networks because I was watching recently a this is a very long-winded roast for Nancy getting canceled <laughs> but um I was watching a, an interview of Jensen Ackles on some primetime show he was promoting either um Big Sky or The Boys or something and hearing Jimmy Kimmel say the word oh you were on Supernatural for 15 years I was like Jimmy Kimmel knows about Supernatural mm-hmm. Because even though that show has been on, was on for a decade and a half and like it, it, huge fandom, it feels like it was so like insular, like it was our the CW fandoms show and not like the world's show. It's like you wouldn't hear these late night shows talking about Supernatural, any of the other CW shows. So it's like 
how do you break out of that, of feeling like these shows that are insanely popular worldwide are the, the underdogs? It, it, something's mm-hmm. not clicking. Yeah, it shouldn't be that, like, do you know about a CW show because the web is talking about it? Like, it mm-hmm. should be, like, online is talking about it and offline as well. Like, knowing about... So there are people who didn't know Supernatural had still been aired. They're like, oh, it's still on. I thought it had, like, went off, like, years ago, like, sometime around when the Vampire Diaries came on or something. And I was like, no, it had 15 seasons. I didn't watch a single one, but it had 15 seasons. Um, and it just, this is due to a lack of promotion. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. And it's the same situation now with The Flash. I always like when those big accounts on Twitter, I'll not name any of them, tweak the news out in regards to the CW show because I tend to scroll through the comments to see what people, non-CW fans think. And like under the Nancy Drew and last night, people are like, wait, Nancy Drew has a show, four seasons, I thought the CW is dead. All these things because the CW, even if it's in the news for sale reasons, People aren't keeping up with it because people aren't aware of it. And again, promotion helps with that. It is so strange that we're living in an era where a show like Stargirl that is left to fend for itself is still bringing in one of the biggest audiences on the network, which just highlights that the network is not making the most of that inbuilt fan base. And then you have a show like Nancy, which has probably one of the most vocal online fan bases, isn't translating to views on the night because it needs more than that. Those fans are worldwide. It's like when a really globally popular contestant goes on like a talent show and they still keep end up ending up in like the bottom two because their fans are global. They can't all vote on that competition. It's the exact same here with the CW. Nancy Drew might have a huge fandom worldwide, but they aren't translating to on the night viewers because the CW is not helping promote that show outside of its own US fan base. The fans around the world can't help with that. And I just feel like the network, as it moves into this less international era, is going to have to learn to contend with that and focus on building shows domestically from within and just putting a bit more money behind the promotion budget. The conundrum. It is. Or like also promoting when the shows get like awards. So like our toast is about the um the Saturn Award wins. So Superman and Lois won science fiction series and Breath Passenger won performance by a younger actor. Like a winning awards is huge. Where are where's the announcements? Where are they? If Michael hadn't tweeted about it, I don't think I would have known. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, why are we not? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I can't say more than that. Um, let me just say, say Stargirl, which airs on the CW on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time, stars the Saturn award winning Brack Passenger. Put that on your trailers. Just uh, these are like the biggest awards in their genre, right? Like yeah, Saturn mm-hmm. Awards is like the award. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, first of all, I'm just so happy that off all the shows nominated, they were the two that got recognized because I've I've said in, on Twitter, on this podcast, probably to you guys endless amounts of times, these shows are of a higher quality than the kind of TV shows you'd expect on network TV. And I always worry that the fact that they are on network TV on a channel that isn't viewed by as many people, that they consistently get left behind or under the radar. I'm so happy that off them all, Stargirl and Superman and Lois were the two that got recognized. And this is at an award ceremony that the likes of Spider-Man, No Way Home, The Batman, Miss Marvel and Lois. Okay, all those high quality productions, all of them got awards and acknowledgements as well. So I just think that's a huge, huge uh, 
um, achievement for the creative teams behind the shows. And of course, most importantly, Breck Bassinger's performance on Stargirl and just the quality of television you have in both Stargirl and Superman at Lois. Yay them. I hope it's a good, I hope it's a good sign for them going forward. I hope they maintain that quality because they are without a doubt two of the best shows in the genre. And I hope the CW continues to treat them with respect by continues to treat them with respect. I mean, continues to treat Superman at Lois with respect and starts treating Stargirl with more respect because it deserves it. It does. And also, like you said, put the award winning in the trailers mm-hmm. and the promos on the um, on the key art if you have to. I think it's essential because people don't know what the CW is putting out and the quality of shows that they're putting out. Everyone just remembers the thing that they watched that wasn't great quality or they remember a show that was on too long that wasn't that wasn't a great quality. And it's just really like if you want to build your audience, let them like let people know your stars are winning mm-hmm. awards in their genres. Like they didn't, I don't, I know there were tweets for when there were nominees for the Critics' Choice Super Awards. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Like the, the, after they did those tweets, that was that was it. For Breck, I want to see a giant key art somewhere, um, like or like on a billboard with her and the fact that she won an award. Superman and Lois should get like bus stop um, posters mm. where it says that they won awards. Like let the people get their eyes on the shows so that they Do know what they care. Yes, everyone else does it. I know they don't have to be Emmy award winning. That's not happening. Let's be honest. This is a genre. Like genre mm-hmm. doesn't really get Emmy awards it outside matter. of creative. And On it awards doesn't. An award. No one exactly. cares. Exactly. <laughs> and the fact I, that, I mean, it, it, at least it's not like something that is like made up, like mm-hmm. Teen Choice Awards. <laughs> no shade, but like. <laughs> like they were selected by a panel like they weren't voted on like this is important to think there are actual like esteemed people out there making these decisions and those shows are more than worthy of them you have streaming quality television on television on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m eastern time on the CW <laughs> and whatever night Superman at Lois chooses to return on watch them love them and the fans are doing that but more importantly CW promote them lead with how much people love them and lead with the award wins Toast yes. Breck, toast to Sam yeah. and Lois. And you know what? Toast to Nancy Drew and the Drew Crew. Yes. We'll be there with you till yeah. the very end. Better we end. We will. We'll be there. We love y'all. Well done. Cheers. We do. <laughs> Cheers. And well, that ends this pod episode on a bright note and a sad note, but it is what it is. Happy Halloween to everyone who celebrates. Where the CW spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. Bye, y'all.